happened that a couple of different people stood up and told of how welcoming and hospitable we are here at Cairns Road. And this goes back a long way for me and my family. It must be about 20 years ago that Craig and I came with a toddler. We did move to Bristol and uh, we came into um, church here on a Sunday morning and Megan and I came into a toddler group and we were a little family um, in some ways in a bit of a in a bit of a muddle, you know, uh, we hadn't got it together, not in any way really at the time. But the welcome that we received was amazing and that's why you're still stuck with us today. And so, I don't know why that word came into my mind, but I think it can't do any harm for us to think about the fact that we do have the gift of hospitality here. And what might it look like if we were called into it more deeply? Um, I can't... Brilliant. She's been on my fridge for years. (laughs) I've got a problem with 1950s woman and all that she represents and the scariness (laughs) of dinner parties. And so for those of you who maybe didn't sleep well last night and are likely to drift off to sleep at the sound of my voice, I want you to just take in one thing, and that's I'm not here to talk about dinner parties. I'm not here to talk about getting um, stressed about cooking or getting exhausted with lots of cooking, though cooking may be part of hospitality to you or to me or to us. But it's not about her, okay? (laughs) It's not all about Sunday lunch and dinner parties. So the next slide, can't leave her up there. So the command to practice hospitality um, is given to the early church on several occasions, and and, uh, for a lot of us, our favourite is going to be in Hebrews 13, where um, the writer says, always be ready with a bed, with a meal, in case it's needed, because, uh, you know, some people have uh, welcomed in angels without even realising it. Oh, that would be cool, wouldn't it? Until you start thinking, oh, angels, do they like, how do they like their food? That might be difficult. <laughs> but it happened to Abraham, it could happen to you. And so thinking of Abraham, we think about the hostile desert environment where access to food and water is usually a matter of life and death. And so there's an obligation uh, to provide shelter and food and water for travellers who approached your tent. Foot washing too, refreshing to hot, tired, sandy feet, was a symbol of acceptance and the absence of hostility. But sharing food in particular is seen as a token of friendship, a covenantal commitment Another tradition we can look to for teaching on hospitality is is that of the monastic tradition, the the Benedictines in particular. Benedict taught that rather than removing themselves to be, um, removing themselves from the hubbub of um, busy society to be um, like hermits, desert desert recluses, which sounds quite nice at times, it's, uh, it's more about living together in community that promotes growth. It's when we live side by side with other flawed humans that um, our rough edges are confronted, our prejudices, our pretensions and defences and some of our blind spots. Benedictine believed that it was accepting people as they are rather than how we'd like them to be, uh, which is a key to spiritual growth. He taught that we should really make the effort to see Christ in everyone. He said, no matter how irritating 
So here we've got, I think, the Oxford English Dictionary definition of hospitality. Can't argue with that. But let's have the next slide. This one is um, Henri Nguyen, a, a, a Dutch priest. Um, I didn't put his name on there because Craig said it was already too difficult for dyslexic, so I'm, I'm sorry about all that, the wording on there. I like this definition. It means, hospitality means primarily the creation of space. Am I talking? Where the stranger can enter and become a friend. It's not in order to change people, but to offer them space where change can take place. It isn't to get people to come over to our side, but to offer freedom not disturbed by, dis by dividing lines. I like that definition. Is Someone sent to me uh, this week a little um, excerpt of a blog um, called Hospitality for the Anxious Introvert. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, you know, the idea of uh, welcoming in is... Is, um, yeah, it's a bit scary for me, and it's, there's going to be people that's really scary for. But this definition shows us that it can be, we can offer hospitality one-to-one -one just by making space for someone, a bit of time, a bit of space. And hospitality, it's important to us because we want to make space for people. We want to welcome them so they can meet Jesus. We want them to know the welcome of God. Can we have the next slide, please? So... Um, I'm just going to look at three aspects, really, of hospitality. One is eating together, sharing meals. Um, I'm going to look at what it means to be inclusive. And then I'm going to look a bit more about welcome. What, what, what is this welcome? So, when we watch Jesus' ministry, which is always important to do, isn't it? To read slowly through the Gospels and watch Jesus closely. As Jenny said earlier... In fact, what Jenny said earlier was a much quicker version of everything I'm going to say now. <laughs> Perhaps we should have left it at that. <laughs> uh, when we watch Jesus closely, we notice the importance of shared meals. Jesus eats his way through the Gospels, doesn't he? He's all about eating together with all kinds of people. And Luke, particularly, he portrays that for us. Uh, and indeed, the way that Jesus was criticised for it. And then the early church, the early Jerusalem church, we noticed that daily communal meals were their practice. It seemed like a continuation of Jesus' meal practices. It's very significant as well, I think, that on the road to Emmaus, when those two disciples were walking away from Jerusalem and, and they met and walked along with Jesus, they didn't know who he was until they ate together. And then they recognised him. Luke 24, their eyes were opened and they knew him. There's something so special about eating together. Bonhoeffer, the um, German pastor who was killed by the Nazis, uh, in his book Life Together, he says, Fellowship at the table has a festive quality. Jesus calls us to the banquet of the kingdom of God. It's a bit like that song we were singing at the beginning. Can we have the next slide, please? Oh, yeah, there we are, that's us. <laughs> eating together is about sharing, and it binds us together, doesn't it? And in the Jerusalem church, it meant that no one went hungry. In community, it reminds us of God's daily fresh provision of manna as we journey along together. It's about enough for everyone. And the early church ate together in a way that seems to be based on this. They had the agape meal, the love feast. And that included the, the ceremonial sharing of the bread and the wine. 
which was something that we've done uh, over several years um, at the beginning of a new year. And uh, lots of churches uh, do it um, before Easter, and perhaps we could do it more often. In Paul's letter to the Corinthians, a bit later, the church at Corinth, he strongly criticizes their meal practices. It seems that they, uh, their church lunches, some people got on and ate everything, and the people who'd been working, they came and uh, there was nothing left. I hope that's never happened. Has that happened? <laughs> um, it seemed like it was a bring and not share. Uh, but he's very serious about it, Paul is, with this. He says, actually, that is so disrespectful to the Lord's table. Sadly, um, Paul's rebuke um, has sometimes been taken um, to mean that we should put boundaries around the Lord's table, but that's not what he meant at all. It was that the way that they were eating together just didn't live up to the Jesus-style meal. So, for us, how can we eat together more? Why is it so difficult? Is it because we're such an individualistic society? I haven't got the answers. I want us to talk about this. Are we just all so busy and frazzled? Can I have the next slide, please, Alex? <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> it's quite a nice kitchen, though, isn't it? We should tidy it up. <laughs> Be all right. <laughs> we won't leave that up there too long. The next one, then. Back, back to, back to <laughs> the next slide. Yeah. <laughs> How can we make it into a habit? How can it be not just really hard work for a few people? Do we, do we eat in small groups, as a whole community, in our homes, here, in the pub? I think we need to think a bit more about it. And while we're thinking of that, and we're thinking of Jesus' meal practice, let's think about how we can ensure that we're an inclusive community and not an exclusive one. So as Jenny was saying earlier, social um, and religious exclusivism was the order of the day in Jesus' time. It was, it was the norm. And Jesus challenges this. He challenges it over and over again. He particularly welcomes those who didn't fit in. And, he, and he's criticised for it. It seems as though he uses his open, accepting table fellowship to directly challenge exclusivism. So we know about the Pharisees. We know that they're all about boundaries. They're all about boundary markers. They want people to jump through hoops before they're in. It's about clean or unclean. Food was really significant, as we know. If you ate the wrong food, you were unclean. Food could be clean or unclean. If you ate with certain people, you'd be contaminated. You'd be unclean. You'd be on the wrong side of the boundary. It was about in or out. And of course, Jesus came to challenge this. He says, it's not what you eat that makes you unclean or who you touch. It's what's in your heart. We know that sickness was unclean. So, um, thank you. (laughs) I forgot to say. People who were um, unwell or had a disability, they had this added burden of being excluded from the society. And as we watch Jesus' life, we can see how revolutionary he was in his challenge of this. Look who he eats with. He, well, there's too many to name, but 
let's think of the hated tax collector, the collaborator with the really hated Romans. Look whose faith he commends. It's a Roman soldier. At the house of Simon the Pharisee, he values the outrageous act of a woman who's just coming off the street. And a woman who's bleeding, so she's a woman and she's bleeding, and she touches him. He doesn't worry about the fact that that might have made him unclean. Not at all. He doesn't just heal her. More than that, he restores her into community. So Jesus seeks to draw people in. The Pharisees think it's their job to decide who's in and who's out, like the poor, the blind, the sick, the unclean, out, excluded. But Jesus doesn't accept the system. He challenges it, and in the end, this leads to him being put to death on a jumped-up charge. His invitation is to everyone, come and see, come and meet with me, eat with me, find out about me. And that's what we're about, isn't it? Remember, Jesus even gives space to a Pharisee who only wants to meet him at night. And Jesus does that. So we're talking about hospitality as a church, as a group, as a community, because, precisely because we want people to come in to meet Jesus. So we need to be really careful that we're not putting in boundary markers upholding a system where people are either in or out. We mustn't put barriers in the way that might exclude people or make it difficult for them to get to Jesus. And I'm sorry to say that I think churches have been bad at this at times. They can be rather good at uh, taking the job of deciding who's in, who's out, of welcoming people as long as they quickly change to become like us. I grew up in in a lovely little church. They were very friendly and very welcoming, but they had a lot of rules. They had a lot of rules that were particularly difficult if you were a teenager. A teenage girl, even more so, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was quite funny looking back. It was the 60s and 70s, and uh, they didn't make them up. They'd they'd got them from the people before them. (laughs) But, um, and maybe that's what's led to me. I, I tend to often have a feeling of being an outsider. I often feel like I don't quite fit in. I'm, I'm telling you this because I think if I do, somebody else probably does as well. And I just think we need to acknowledge that. It's, it's easy to feel, for some people, some types of personality, to feel, oh, I, I'm, I'm a bit on the outside here. The church I grew up in, it, it had a thing about women in general, I guess, <laughs> and hats. You had to have a hat if you were a woman. Um, I remember one occasion that I, I, I walked into church with my mum. I must have been 16, I guess. Um, my dad wasn't there. He must have been preaching elsewhere. And I was greeted warmly until the moment the greeter noticed I'd forgotten my hat. I'd honestly forgotten it. And he said, where's your hat? And my mum, she must have made a split-second decision. She grabbed her own hat off her head and shoved me through the door, and we sat there together hatless. She, she obviously calculated that no one would challenge her in the middle of a church. <laughs> and I'm looking back to my 16-year-old self, well, you know, a lot of you know what I'm like. I was thinking, yay, mum, two fingers up to the patriarchy. <laughs> but as I look back on it, I think it's a tiny little beautiful example of how Jesus stands in solidarity with those people who are on the outside, who feel they don't fit in the way my mum came over 
She wouldn't have done that. That wasn't something she would have done, except she wanted to stand next to me in solidarity, so I didn't feel excluded. And so, we know that everyone can come to Jesus because we know from observing the life of Jesus and how he deals with people and from knowing how he deals with us in our lives. This radical inclusivity, it's not anything to do with just a wishy-washy, laid-back, it's all fine, it's all cool, it's all calm. No, of course it isn't, of course it isn't. We can see very clearly that Jesus wanted people to come to him and he wanted them to find healing and wholeness. We know that Jesus wants to transform our lives. That's what he does. But I'm not supposed to be trans- trying to transform yours. I've got enough on my plate with mine. Think of that woman who, um, that poor woman who was about to be publicly stoned for adultery. What does he say to her? He says, I'm not going to condemn you, but I want for you to find healing and wholeness. I want you to turn away from your self-destructive lifestyle. Can we have the next slide, please? My brother-in-law um, up at um, Community Church, who I've discussed this with a bit, gave me this slide. <laughs> There's always one of these in our house at any one time. Perhaps we look a bit like this when we come to Jesus. We're made to reflect the image of God. And of course, this image in us gets a bit distorted. Jesus doesn't want us to stay like this. He wants us to flourish and grow as the humans we've been made to be so that we reflect God's love whole. It's not up to me to decide what needs to change in your life. Not even Craig. Oh, I do try sometimes. (laughs) We're supposed to be welcoming people in and pointing them towards Jesus with the way we are, with the way we live out the hope of Jesus, with the way we love each other. The church family isn't meant to be concerned with who's in and who's out. A community who has very clear boundaries and markers is sometimes referred to as a bounded set. Have the next slide, please. So you can see there's just clear categories. You're in or you're out, it's like apples and pears different, some on the inside, some on the outside. But we're better represented as a centred set. We've got Jesus at the centre. It's not about being inside or outside of boundaries. Perhaps it's more about direction of travel. Are we heading towards Jesus? Even if it's not always in a straight line. Are we moving towards Jesus and allowing him to change us so that we become more like him? Have we started heading off in some other direction? Next slide, please. It's back to that one. So it's not that you're out until we say that you're in. It doesn't matter what it is that you're struggling with. It might be probably something quite different to what I struggle with. But come and meet Jesus. Maybe you find organisations difficult. Churches. I know how you feel. But come and meet Jesus. We have a way of belonging in a Baptist church. We, and uh, in this particular church, we, we have a spoken covenant that we say together. We renew it every year. But it doesn't mean that you're an outsider if you haven't said it. It most definitely isn't there. 
to create insiders and outsiders. It might be that you find something a bit difficult about saying it, standing up and saying it. But it's not a boundary marker. Come along with us anyway. Get to know Jesus. Our job is to reflect the life of Jesus. And if, if we reflect Jesus, we'll show what God is like to the community around us. We'll demonstrate his radical inclusivity by the way we treat people, particularly those who are excluded in our society. So in the last 20 years um, being here, I, I, I just love so many things about this church family. But one of the things that inspires me the most is the way lots of people here have made space in their life for those who are on the outside, the excluded, whether it's prisoners, sex workers, asylum seekers, people who are homeless. I have been so inspired by you. Hospitality is making space for people, seeing Jesus in them. It's welcoming the outsider. We're going to share the bread and the wine together in a few minutes, and um, this symbolic meal table speaks so deeply of inclusion and welcome. Jesus' remembrance meal on the night uh, before he was crucified, is, it speaks to us of hospitality. The meaning of Jesus' death on the cross is one of hospitality. Have the next slide, please. So this um, symbol represents, to some people, it represents the Trinity. And um, back in the second century, um, we were given beginning, well, explanations for the one God who's in three persons. And I don't know how you say his name, so I'll just try. Irenaeus, is that right? Or something like that. <laughs> Bishop Irenaeus, yeah, probably. He gives a beautiful explanation of uh, God the Father who created the earth and the Son and the Holy Spirit being like two arms that reach out to the world. And this eternal relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit has been described as a divine dance, a dancing circle of self-giving. And what's so amazing is when we read the conversation in John 17 that, that Jesus has with his Father God, we are invited into this relationship. We're included in the love that's between them. Jesus prays, I have made your name known to them so that the love which, with which you loved me may be in them, in them, us. The Croatian theologian Miroslav Wolf, he writes, he writes this, when God sets out to embrace the outsider, the enemy, the result is the cross. On the cross, this dancing circle of self-giving love opens up. A fissure appears, a crack, so that sinful humanity can join in. Where are the others, the outsiders, the enemy? We are embraced by the divine persons who love us with the same love 
with which they love each other. They make space for us within their own eternal embrace. When we share communion, we celebrate God's making space for us and inviting us in. So hospitality, then, is the lifestyle through which this stance is lived out. Now, one of the times that Jesus is openly criticised for the um, way that he welcomed anyone and everyone and ate with them, he tells some stories about lost coins, lost sheep, and lost people, lost sons. And we heard that story read earlier. We know this story so well, and we usually focus on how we identify with the younger son or the elder son. But when Henri Nguyen uh, meditated on this famous, the next slide please, this famous Rembrandt painting, The Return of the Prodigal Son, he was surprised to find himself called ultimately to step into the shoes of the loving father in the story, to offer others the same compassion that he'd been offered by God. Jesus says, be compassionate as your father is compassionate. So when we look at the compassionate father, we, say, we see that we need to be at home in order to welcome people. Well, that's obvious, isn't it? You can't welcome people if you're not at home. One of my anxieties that I have, have, lo- have lots, is that I'll forget. I'll invite people and I'll forget. Um, though there are times when, I'm, uh, when we're at home and the doorbell rings and I think, oh, who's that? Um, now, don't get me wrong, I love it when people come unexpectedly. I absolutely love that. That's great. That suits me. I love people to come. I love people in my house. I love it when they've got no expectations. <laughs> uh, I was slightly worried. Did I invite somebody? When the doorbell rings. Um, I, to my knowledge, I've never invited anyone around for a meal and then gone out. And they've, uh... <laughs> But that could well be because people are too polite to tell me. <laughs> But there's some exciting conversations going on here at Ken's Road about how we can be more present here throughout the week so that we're here to welcome more people more often. Um, and we'll be hearing about, a bit more about those conversations uh, in the coming week, I guess. Um, but I feel really inspired to see where we're going to go with that. But I'm also thinking about a more metaphorical sort of being at home. For us to be able to truly welcome the outsider, we need to be at home in our identity as children of God, precious and dearly loved. I think many of us struggle with that at times. And like the younger son, we might wander off to find fulfilment elsewhere. Like the older brother, we feel left out and a bit resentful that no one's noticed all our hard work and commitment. But no one says, whether we identify more with the younger or elder son, We are the child of our compassionate father, an heir. As Paul says, we are children of God. If children, heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. He writes movingly of the challenge to live out the extraordinary self-giving love of the father in this story, who waits at home, holding the lost son in his heart, despite his shameful act of rejection and rebellion. The father who pleads with the elder son to step over resentments and come back in. 
It sounds like a life of painful prayer, forgiveness and generosity. So, yes, of course, we're still prone to wander off, get discouraged, get resentful. It's a lifelong task, I guess, for most of us as we grow older to learn how to be at home in our identity as children and heirs of the Father, to stay at home so that we can welcome back the outsider, the excluded, the younger and the elder brothers in each other. So perhaps we could pray together this prayer that I learned at at New Wine, a few of us learned at New Wine a couple of years ago from um, Danielle Strickland. She's a Salvation Army officer who's worked for decades um, with marginalised people in inner cities. If you would like to stand, stand. You might need to straighten. It's a prayer with actions. It's a prayer with postures. But you can do it sitting down. It's absolutely fine. So the first posture is to lift your arms up if you can. So this is a posture of surrender. And we pray, Father God, I give up. I haven't got this. I surrender this day and this week to you. With all its problems and its worries, with its hopes, its dreams and its possibilities, you're in charge, not me. And then let's hold our arms out as they're receiving. Jesus, you said freely we receive from you. Pour into my life everything that I need for today and for this week. Love, forgiveness, mercy, kindness, patience, self-control. What you give me is enough for me. Your spirit's power and presence. Let's Keep our hands open and say, I choose to keep my hands open in often a tight-fisted society. I'm looking for where I can give all that you have given me, the inexhaustible resources of heaven. I'm looking for where they can spill out of my life and I can give generously this week. And then let's open our arms wide like the prodigal father in the story. And let's pray, Father, I want to live a life of mission. Looking and choosing to see the lost, the last and the least. Welcoming them into my life, saying, you are welcome here. Please, come home. Amen.